It is our privilege this morning to have uh, our brother Tim Way come and speak to us. For those of you who do not know, Tim and Lauren were here for a little over seven years. Uh, this is a great part of the church. We love them dearly. Back when I called and talked to Tim about coming, um, I did say, I said, if now Lauren and the kids have to come. If they can't come, then don't bother. Um, then Tim immediately replied and said, well, if Lauren and the kids aren't coming, she won't let me come. <laughs> and so there we have the Christian principle, which is that even though Tim is the head of the house, Lauren is the neck that turns the head. And uh, so <laughs> uh, anyway, so uh, but we, we love them dearly, and it just couldn't think of anyone else who would really have come and speak to us uh, at a homecoming. So brother, please come and share the word of God with us. Thank you, Bob, and it is good to be back here with you, although I'm assuming I'm supposed to be speaking right now. I don't really know who this right Reverend Bishop fellow is that you've got in your bulletin. Um, huh? Okay, well. Um, fair enough. But nonetheless, here I am, flaws and all. It is good to be back behind this pulpit, literally this pulpit. Um, whenever, uh, whenever we moved up to Boone's Creek, their pulpit was not built for Bob Dimmitt. And so it's about a foot shorter. And, and whenever, the church, whenever the church was looking at old sermons, watching me preach and uh, watching videos, they saw me standing behind this pulpit with only about shoulders and head above it. And uh, they thought that I was a wee little fellow uh, because, in, by comparison, their pulpit's much shorter. But uh, it's good to be back here behind this pulpit with you all. It's good to be among friends. And I've enjoyed uh, the time already this morning getting to talk with some of you. I know that I haven't been able to, to speak with all of you yet. And it's a good thing we've got a big meal uh, afterward that... We'll be able to uh, continue to fellowship over and, and just be able to continue to spend time and, and catch up. It, it, it's so good for my soul to be here with you. It's, it's been a joy already this morning worshiping with you. Um, and, and I wish that I could fully convey how much this church, how much you all mean to me. Uh, your prayers, your, your checking up on us over the past year, it's been invaluable. And, and I'm convinced that we are right where we need to be, that God has placed us where we need to be there in Lexington, but we would never have gotten there. We would never be there were it not for you and for your prayers, for your encouragements uh, over the time that we were here um, and, uh, and since. And so I'm eternally indebted to you and, and eternally grateful for you and, and always eager for an opportunity to be back here with you, united once again in love and in the faith that we share. Now, you know that when I was here with you, it was typically my habit to, to preach from more obscure uh, texts, typically going to the Old Testament. Now, normally that was just because I didn't want to run the risk of you ha hearing Bob preach a text better than I could. Uh, and so I figured that the, the risk of that was, was less if I was preaching from Nahum or something like that. Um, but today, I, I want us to actually turn to a familiar text. Uh, and so I want you to turn with me to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. This is a, a familiar text, one I think you'll all recognize, but it is a text that is nonetheless difficult. Not because it's hard to understand its meaning, but because as I examine my own life and hold it up to be examined by this particular scripture, I find that I am falling far short of the standard that Christ sets for us as believers. I find that I'm falling short of my duties and responsibilities that's outlined by the word of God and while I don't want to assume too much of you based on my own shortcomings as I look around the cultural landscape of the church today I think that that there's a pretty widespread epidemic of Christians not living up to the standard that Christ has called us to in this regard I'm I'm convinced that these shortcomings are fairly widespread particularly in our cultural context here. Now as we look at this text, it may be that as we think about these things, as we consider the severe judgment of God that will fall on those who are content just to sit 
on all his blessings, those who are complacent, never taking advantage of the gifts that God has bestowed freely upon them. It may be that as we talk about these things, one of you in here, a few of you, may become fearful for your own soul. And if that's the case this morning, let me go ahead and preemptively invite you. If, if we're going through this text and, and you become convinced that the Lord is working on your heart and you need to trust the Lord today, you have never fully embraced the gospel. You have never fully flung yourself, body and soul, on the mercy of Jesus Christ. Then you can feel free right in the middle of my sermon. I've got four kids. Nothing you can do will distract me or bother me today, I promise you. You can come on up front, sit here on this pew, talk to Bob if you want. Let us know that, that you need to trust the Lord today. Let us share with you the good news of how your fear, your, your concern over the state of your soul can be turned into rejoicing and gladness and peace. I'm going to be issuing this sermon primarily this morning as a challenge to those who do consider themselves believers, those whose lives have been transformed by the gospel so that you are now a new creation in Christ Jesus. But if that is not you, if you know right now that is not you, you have never trusted in the good news of Jesus. You have never trusted in the fact that Jesus Christ came to this earth and lived a perfectly sinless life, keeping the laws that you could never even hope to keep, remaining perfectly sinless in thought, in word, and deed, and yet went to a wretched cross to pay the penalty for my sin and for your sin, bearing the entire wrath of God poured out on him, drinking it down to the last drop, enduring it even unto death, but then rose again on the third day and ascended to the right hand of the Father on high. If you have never fully believed that, maybe you've come to church your entire life, maybe you have told your father, your mother, your spouse, your children that you are a believer, but you know right now that that is not true of you, let me just challenge you to, to come on. You don't have to wait till the time this sermon is over because if there was a plane to crash through this roof right now and you know that that's the condition your soul is in, you would spend every moment for the rest of eternity in unending agony in hell. And I don't want that for you. I love you too much to allow that to be true of you. And so if you don't want to wait another moment, you can come on, talk to Bob, even as we stand to read the scriptures in just a moment, so that what I say in the rest of the sermon about what's expected of believers, that will apply to you today for the first time perhaps ever in your life. So, so let's stand together looking at Matthew 25, verses 14 through 30. And there the word of God says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had received the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he, had received, he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. I made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. 
Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's once again turn to the Lord in prayer this morning. Oh God, you are a good and loving and kind God. You entrust things to us that by no right should be ours. And Lord, even now as we gather, we gather together this morning as servants awaiting the return of our Master. Who even now is at the right hand of the Father waiting to return and settle accounts. And Lord, when He does, my urgent prayer is that we would all be found faithful. That we would be found faithful as individuals as families, and especially in this context, Lord, that we would be found faithful as a church to have been laboring all the while for the sake of your kingdom. Not for our own relaxation, not for our own recreation, not for our own enjoyment, but, Lord, for the rewards that are to come when Christ returns to settle accounts. Lord, I pray that if there is anyone here this morning that is content just to sit on what you have given them never lifting a finger for the kingdom lord i pray that you would shake them out of complacency that you would unsettle their souls and lord especially if there's one here who has never trusted in you who is condemned this very moment to eternal hellfire by virtue of their own wretched sins knowing the sacrifice that was made on their behalf and yet rejecting it still. Lord, I pray that you would open their eyes and show them that there is no neutrality. They are in open and flagrant rebellion against you, worthy only to be cast into eternal hellfire where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Lord, convict that soul and draw them to yourself today by the Power not of the preacher, but of your word and the Holy Spirit working through them. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. As we consider this familiar parable this morning, there's three big truths that I want us to to try to grasp. And the first big truth that I want us to, to understand is that God commands us to use what he has given us. And he has given us a lot Notice the, the, the master calls together the servants and he entrusts something to each one of them. And even the very least servant here, the very least of all the servants, was entrusted with a huge sum of money in this parable. A sum of money that's, that's greater than most of us can imagine. Most commentators will tell us that a talent, a, a, a unit of measuring wealth here, would equate to about 6,000 denarii. Now, denarius, you may remember, was the standard payment for a day's labor. So this unit of money here would have been worth about 6,000 days of work, or about 19 years. We think of most people retiring after 40 years, that's about half a lifetime's worth of work in one talent. So about half of your life's work would equate to just one talent here. That's a huge sum of money to entrust to hand over to someone else. And to tell them, look, I want you to use this and I want you to work with this to try to multiply it. But that's the point here. Jesus tells us this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. The parable is intended to point to the reality of the rewards that God has prepared for those that labor for his kingdom. 
But you see, we don't start with nothing. We don't start at zero here. Because God has equipped us, God has gifted us with all the resources we need to be able to labor effectively for His kingdom. God has invested in you. He has given you a treasure beyond all accounting that He expects you to utilize for His glory. He's given you all the tools that you need. You see, when God saves us, He doesn't just forgive us of our sins. Of course He does that. But He doesn't just forgive us of our sins and then send us on our way. As if we were a child that had fallen down and just need our britches dusted off and sent on our way. No, He, he equips us. He gives us what we need. He, he invests in us in unfathomable ways, in transforming ways. Perhaps the most thorough explanation of, of all the ways that God has invested in us and equipped us is found in John chapters 14 through 17 in John's account of the Last Supper. There, Jesus tells his disciples what they are about to receive as a result of the Holy Spirit's work in their lives. And he tells them as you read through those chapters what their lives ought to look like once he leaves. He says that they are about to, to do greater works than even he did. He tells them that, they will, that, that he will do for them whatever they ask in his name. That they will bear witness about Jesus to, the, to a lost and dying world because of the helper, the Holy Spirit that's going to be living in them. The Holy Spirit, he says, will guide them and guide us into all truth. He will glorify the Son, taking what is Christ's and then declaring it to his followers, even all that the Father himself has, according to Jesus. Jesus says we will ask and we will receive. Our joy will be full. All of this a result of his going away. Just like we see here in this parable where the, the master goes away and then he entrusts his gifts to his servants. All of these things are only possible, Jesus tells his disciples, if he goes away and the Holy Spirit comes and resides in his followers, providing them with all these gifts. But don't get confused here. You see, the Holy Spirit isn't like a fruit basket that God gives you to welcome you into his family, although he does produce fruit in us. The Holy Spirit's not just like a t-shirt that you put on once you commit to a university to show this is where my allegiance is now. No, the Holy Spirit is a living, active, transforming power that resides within you, filling you with abilities and gifts which you can use then to honor the Lord. It is God Himself taking up residence within every believer. The God by whom the earth was created, who was hovering over the surface of the deep, who stopped the mouths of lions, who inspired scriptures, who filled kings and enabled them to rule and enabled armies to conquer. That very God is living in every single one of us in this room that is a professing believer of Jesus Christ. He's in you now, stirring you up to love and to good works and, and enabling you to do what God has called you to do. And so we have no excuse to just sit on our hands and do nothing because God himself is living within us. The question is, what will we do as a result of the helper living in us? Will we attempt to manipulate the Holy Spirit to do whatever we want? No. Instead, we need to ask, how will God use His Holy Spirit within us to accomplish what He wants? What He desires to see happening in our lives? We see this distinction here in the parable that Jesus tells. The faithful servants use what the ruler has entrusted to them in accordance with the king's wishes. You see, He doesn't just say, here's, here's half a life's worth of money. I want you to go and make yourself comfortable. I want you to go and build a bigger house for yourself. Build bigger barns. All right, we see those type of people being condemned. No, he says, I want you to take this. I want you to use it. I want you to multiply it. I want you to produce fruit with it. He expects them to use it. The entrusting here is a command. There's an expectation that they are to use this to multiply it to serve the king's, the master's purposes. If there were no expectation that they use it, that they put it to work, 
for the good of his kingdom, then he would have done what he told the, the servant he should have done. He's, he would have at least put it in the banks where he could have got interest. But no, he expects them to use it in remarkable ways, in bold ways, in ways that's going to yield fruit. He expects them to be faithful. He expects them to use what he has given them and he expects us to use it as well. But not only does this parable show us that God commands us to use what he has given, it also demonstrates that God commends, the Lord commends those who are not content to just hold on to it. You see, God doesn't just give us blessings and gifts, foremost among them being the Holy Spirit, by which all the others are enabled. He doesn't just give us those things and expect us to sit on it. He expects us to use them. And he will, he will reward those that do. Look at the first two servants in this parable. What was the result of their faithful laboring, of their multiplying of the master's gifts? They take what the master had given them and they immediately put it to work. We're told they traded with them. Now, we don't know exactly what that means, what they do. The details aren't important. What is important here is that they were faithful. They knew what their master expected of them and they went and did it. They went to work. They, they, they didn't let dust grow on the gift that their master had given them. They knew that their master expected them to put it to work and that's exactly what they did. And they are commended for their faithfulness. Now I'm sure that it was nerve-wracking to take such riches, right? These men are servants and, and here they're handed a lifetime and, and more worth of wealth and money and they're told look you go and and put this to work now now i would be terrified right it, it, this this would be you know nerve-wracking to take this this amount of treasure and, and go try to labor with it to to go try to invest it but they knew that's what their master expected them to do and so they were strengthened they were emboldened by that knowledge, knowing that the master had entrusted it to them. This is why the master had given it to them. In other words, they didn't have to fear failure. The master trusted them based on their abilities. He knew what would, what would lead to the flourishing of his servants here. He knew what they needed, what they could handle. And so he gave it to them. And so they knew, therefore, they had the freedom to act, they had the freedom to risk, to try something difficult. So often the fear of failure prevents us from even attempting. Right? Why should I go and knock on someone's door to try to share the gospel with them? What if they say no? Has the Lord equipped you, enabled you to do that, commissioned you to do that? Then what are you afraid of? So what? So what if we fail? So what if we risk something for the kingdom and it doesn't work out. Have we been faithful? Have we been faithful to use what God has given us to do what he has commissioned us to do? And we see also here that the master entrusted to them differing amounts based on their abilities. Now, this isn't to say that God gives more or less of the Holy Spirit to believers. No, if you're a believer, you are, you are filled. You have the Holy Spirit. He doesn't ration the Holy Spirit out to us. But the manifestation of the Spirit's work in our lives will be different in different believers. We will have different gifts, different abilities. Look around this room and, and we see that to be true. And that's good. That's how God has created us to function. That's why we need one another. That's why we need the church. That's why we need to come together and, and build one another up because we are different. And God has enabled and equipped us in different ways. Some will be skilled teachers. Other men and women will be great encouragers. Some will be great evangelists. Others may be equipped to be faithful housewives and mothers or faithful husbands and fathers. Some will be equipped to be creative, to produce God-honoring content in music and art. That glorifies the Father. Again, the Master in His wisdom knew what circumstances would lead to each of His servants flourishing. And so He puts them in roles where He knows they can succeed. 
You may think, well, well, that's not fair the way he divvies this up. He gives more to some and less to others. Why wouldn't he just give to each servant equally? But is there injustice with God? Heaven forbid. There's no injustice with God. God knows what you need. And furthermore, furthermore, which of these servants deserved to be entrusted with a lifetime's worth of wages? This wasn't their money. This was the master's money, and it's his to, to do with as he sees fit. It's his to dispense with as he pleases. The treasures all belong to the master, and so they are his to distribute according to his good pleasure. These servants don't have anything apart from what was entrusted to them by their master. However, while we were all while we are all different and we will all be called to different degrees of service and fruitfulness, notice that the reward is equal for the faithful, not dependent on who's the most fruitful. And this may seem counterintuitive, right? Because whenever, we, whenever the master returns and, and he settles accounts, one servant hands him back ten talents. And the other servant hands him back four. It's a huge difference. Right? That's three lifetimes worth of work difference between the two. And they return these amounts, and yet, when the master settles accounts with each of them, he tells them each the exact same thing. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. So every faithful believer, regardless of of what gifts, what abilities, what, what, what the Lord has entrusted to you, if you are faithful with those things, regardless of, of how much fruit may be evidently produced from that, if you are faithful, you can trust that the reward will be magnificent. You know, we, we look at this and, and we should marvel at what the Master says. He says, you have been faithful over a little there's not one of these servants who thought they had a little amount of money. Right? Even the servant that just had one talent, he was fearful over losing that one talent. He was afraid because he recognized how much wealth that represented. And the master says, that, you've been faithful over a little. Now, now comes the reward. Now I'm going to set you over much. See, this is remarkable news for us, and it reminds us that the things that we've been given, the things that we've been entrusted in this life, they are not our rewards. They are our resources. And if we begin to shift the way we think about what we've been entrusted with, you know, sometimes we can look around at other people, even in this room, and we may, be, we may get jealous. We may think, well, well, God has blessed them far more than he's ever blessed me, so what can I do? We're looking at it all wrong. Those aren't the rewards. The rewards are still to come. Those are our resources. We often confuse resources with rewards. You see, your bank account may be exponentially smaller than the person that's sitting across the aisle from you. So what? That just means that they have to work harder to use the resources that God has entrusted to them to labor for his kingdom. You can still enter into the joy of your master. You can still be set over much because the rewards are what's yet to come. The key is to not be content, complacent, and coasting. That's when a Christian gets into danger, when they are content, complacent, and just coasting. You see, it doesn't matter, at least it shouldn't matter to me. If I'm honest, it bothers me sometimes more than it should because I've still got sin that I've got to work out a little bit. But, but it shouldn't bother me if I never preach to thousands, right? I shouldn't envy John Piper or John MacArthur for their ministries. I should be content to labor faithfully, as faithfully as I can with what God has entrusted to me looking forward to the reward that he has promised for faithfulness. What has God seen fit to provide you with in your life? Has he seen fit to provide you with a spouse, with children, 
Do you remain single, childless? Whatever condition you are in, labor faithfully with what God has entrusted to you. And your reward will be great. And I know that it's hard because it may seem like as you look around that you're missing out on so many blessings right now. But the real blessings are what's yet to come when the Lord returns and settles His accounts. And when He does, if you have been faithful, you will find that you're not missing out on anything. You've not missed out on anything so long as you have been faithful. A.W. Tozer said, One second of glory will outweigh a lifetime of suffering. Sometimes in this world, we may feel like the least servant, right? We may feel like we've not been given a fair hand to play with. But I think often that's because we're mistaking resources for rewards. God will always, always reward faithfulness, even if you don't have much to work with. Do you believe that to be true? We should because Jesus says it. He, he shows us that, that whether you return uh, you know, a, a, a bounty of fruit back when he comes or whether you've done your best to, to labor and get by because you didn't start out with much, the reward is the same. Enter into the joy of your master. I will set you over much. However, for the one who was not faithful, we also see in this passage that while God commends the ones that are not content, the, the opposite is also true. God condemns the contented. God condemns the contented. What has God entrusted to you? What has he given you that you're content to just sit on and not use for his kingdom? Has he given you a spouse? Good. Are, are you using that marriage to honor Him, to bring glory to God, to, to faithfully serve your, your husband and your wife in the different ways that He's called you to in His Word? Or are you just content to coast along? Has He given you children? Are you laboring to make sure that they are faithfully growing into image bearers of God, being taught His Word? Or are you just coasting? Children, has He given you parents who you can honor and obey? That is a good gift from God. You should not be content to neglect that gift. You should learn from them. Honor them as He put you in school, children, where you can learn and increase in knowledge and gain abilities that you can use for the sake of His kingdom. That's no trifling thing. He is equipping you. He is enabling you to grow in knowledge and understanding so that you can use that for His glory and your good and the good of other people around the world. Don't sit on it. Has He given you money? Is the gospel going to the corners of the earth by your contributions? We know that He's given us all the Holy Spirit by which we can pray. We can be full of joy. We can intercede for His kingdom. We can perform greater works than Christ. And I, I, every time that statement comes out of my mouth, it, it sounds weird, but it's Jesus who said it at the Last Supper. Right? You will do greater works than these. What are you doing with what He's given you? The servant that was entrusted with one talent took it and buried it. Are you going to do the same? Have you buried the treasure that God has entrusted to you? Are you just sitting around watching TV, entertaining yourselves while the treasure grows moldy under your floorboards? Are you content, complacent, just biding your time until Jesus comes back? Looking forward to the joys of heaven while never once bothering to think, I should be doing something. I should be getting my hands dirty, laboring for the kingdom. Attempting to be fruitful. Don't you know that Jesus tells us that whoever abides in Him will produce fruit. And so, if you're not producing fruit, that means you're not in Christ. You are either fruitful or you are not in Christ because there is no such thing as an unfruitful Christian. 
just doesn't exist. And we like to tell ourselves that that's true because we feel bad for being unfruitful. But when we look at Christ's own words, he tells us that if we are in him, we will produce fruit. The same, therefore, I think applies to the church, which is the body of Christ gathered together. If Christ has given you as individuals gifts, abilities, resources to steward, how much more do we have then to to be able to pool together for the sake of Christ's kingdom? On a homecoming weekend, it's, it's easy, right, to look back. 53 years. A A lot of souls that's been saved in this church. A lot of A lot of praises that's been sung to our God. And those things are wonderful. Those things are wonderful. I don't want to belittle them in the least. There's much to be proud of. But until the Lord returns, the task remains unfinished. Until the Lord returns, He expects us to be busy for His kingdom. There are still gains to be realized. There is still fruit to be cultivated. And so FABC, are you content with what's gone on before? Or are you eager to work for the coming kingdom? Are you eager to set your, plant, your, your hand to the plow? To do what God has called you to do? We are still, as the hymn says, facing the task unfinished. Until the Lord returns, there are people, neighbors, outside these doors that need to hear the gospel. There are souls that need to be brought into the kingdom. There are children that need to be taught, instructed how to memorize God's word, how to apply it to their lives. There's there's marriages that need to be healed. There's husbands that need to die to themselves for their wives. There's children that need to obey their parents. Until the Lord returns, all of us are called to this work. And the moment you begin to look around you and say, you know what? I think we've done pretty good for ourselves. That's the moment you're in trouble. You need to be discontent. You need to be unsatisfied with the work that's already been accomplished and look forward to what still needs to be done. What still needs to be accomplished for Christ and His kingdom. And so let me plead with you, church, if you are content to while away your time until the Lord returns to coast into heaven, if you are content to do that, repent. The Bible speaks highly of contentedness so long as it regards what God has entrusted to us, right? So, for example, the servant who is given the two talents, they should be content with those two talents. That's where contentedness has its rightful place. We should be content with what God has entrusted to us. But we should not be content to never use it. Because if it's your plan to stand before God, to give an account of your life and and simply say, well, I didn't lose what you gave me, that will not be acceptable. Listen to the surprising condemnation of verse 30. The, The master says, cast that worthless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And we read this and we think, well, that's a little bit harsh. It seems like overkill, if we're honest. It's shocking. He gives him back his talent. He didn't squander it on... He's not like the prodigal son here who takes his father's inheritance and then just wastes it on high living and women and, and sensual pleasures. He gives it back to him intact. But you see, the master is responding to rebellion. Complacency indifference to your master's treasure is rebellion against him. How can you claim to love Christ and be indifferent to what he's given you? To the job that he's called you to do? You see, this condemnation is warranted because this servant did not love his master. He didn't love him or else he would have done what his master told him to do. What his master trusted him to do. When I was a child... One of my favorite things to play with was, was Legos. I used to love building, creating things with Legos. And now it's, it's exciting to see my, my children playing with Legos. They, they love to, to build and create. But, but imagine if I was to get my children a, a huge, expensive Lego set. Now they, they don't have to be that huge to be expensive. Those things are nuts nowadays. But, but, but imagine that I got them this big, huge 
Star Wars Lego set or Harry Potter Lego set. Kids, I'm, I'm not saying that's what you're getting. But, but, but imagine, imagine that I got them that and they open it up and they're all excited and, and then for some reason I have to go away for a couple of weeks and when I get back home, I come back and they meet me at the door and they say, Daddy, Daddy, look, we kept this just like you gave it to us. We didn't open it. Now, would I be pleased with that? No, I'd be, I'd be sad because I got it for them to use. I got it for them to play with, to, to put to work, to build those things. I wouldn't be honored by that. It does not honor the gift or the giver to never use his gifts for their intended purpose. And so if God has gifted you, whether you're 8 or 80, with anything and you're not using it, it's dishonoring to him. It's dishonoring to the gift and the giver to not use it for its intended purpose. And yet some of us, I fear, will stand before God one day and when he asks, what did you do with all that money that I allowed you to earn? You'll say, well, I sure have a nice sports car. And sports cars aren't in and of themselves inherently evil. I'm not condemning you if you have a sports car. Drive it, enjoy it. But, but are you using your money for the kingdom? Did children in Uganda hear the gospel? Did you raise your own children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord? Did you clothe and feed the hungry? Well, no, but I have a great channel lineup on my 55-inch flat screen. Or we may say, well, I may not have given myself for my wife as Christ did for the church, but I did make sure she had a nice shoe collection. What will you do when you stand before the Father of lights? You have nothing to show for your labors. You see, God gave all that heaven had to give. He emptied its treasuries. Giving the most valuable thing that he possibly could give to save your soul. To bring you into his family. And then he, he filled you with his spirit. There is nothing good that God has withheld from us. And we're setting on it. We're setting on it. What are we doing with it? You may say one day, yeah, I guess I didn't really ever share the gospel, but I sure made the good case that Georgia was the best football team in the nation. Right? We can be passionate about those things. Sorry, as a Kentucky fan, I can say that. Right? Because I don't ever have to worry about that being the case. That's not a temptation for me. But, but we need to understand that if we can be passionate about those things, we can be passionate about what God has equipped us to do and what he has called us to do. We're burying the treasure that God has given us to work with in hopes that God will be pleased with our wood, hay, and stubble, the ashes that it produces. And we may think that as long as we're being good, decent people, that all will be well with us. But, but look at this servant. Neutrality isn't really neutrality. Neutrality is disobedience. Neutrality is rebellion against God. The unfaithful servant was neutral. He didn't gain any more money. He didn't lose it either. He was just happy to go with the flow and wait for his master to return. But you are either going to be faithful and fruitful or a fraud. And Christ condemns the complacent, contented fraud to outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so are you a fraud? Ask yourself, am I a fraud? Am I just sitting on what God has given me? Or am I faithfully laboring, producing fruit for the kingdom of God? If you are faithfully laboring, if there is fruit in your life that is consistent with what God has entrusted to you, then take heart. You will receive a treasure, a reward that is unfathomable. God says, you've been faithful over little, I'm going to set you over much. Young people, again, this applies to you as well. You don't have to wait till you grow up to begin laboring for the kingdom, to begin applying what God has given you. Sometimes I, I like to kind of go back and think, you know, what would it look like if I had invested in Apple in 1995 or Bitcoin in 2010, right? And those are fun little thought experiments. But young people, I don't want you to look back in the middle of your life and think, 
What if I had labored for God's kingdom when I was nine? When I was 12? When I was 15, 18, 22? Where would I be now? So young people pursue education, pursue holiness. Read your Bibles, pray, learn from your parents, obey them. Honor your father and mother. The great news that this is that this investment won't cost you a thing, but it will gain you the whole earth. God's kingdom is being offered to you. An inheritance that will never grow old, that will never experience corruption. And so will you use what God has entrusted to you for that purpose? I'm convinced by this text here that there will be poor, diligent souls who did the best they could to raise a godly family in quiet obscurity who will hear the words, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're here and you're thinking, I'm... I'm doing the best I can and it just never seems to be good enough. You're not seeing the results that you'd like to see. If you are faithful to honor the Lord and do what He says, you will see those rewards. And on the flip side, there may be pastors of megachurches who will hear you wicked and slothful servant. The likes of Billy Graham and John MacArthur may hear the same commendation and be trusted with the same reward as a pastor who preached dutifully week in and week out to a congregation of 20 all of his life. Never published a book. Never had a sermon broadcast on the radio or the internet. And the Lord looks at his work and says, that's what a faithful servant looks like. Looks at you, faithful mother, faithful father, faithful spouse, and says, that's what a faithful servant looks like. Well done. You've done well with what I've entrusted to you. God has given us himself. The greatest treasure he could possibly give. He holds nothing back from us, but invests in us fully. When Christ went to the cross on our behalf, he purchased our forgiveness. Yes, but more than that, he secured for us a mission, a purpose. And God then sent his spirit to enable us to fulfill it. Christ has also secured for us a joyful inheritance for all those that are faithful to labor for the kingdom. And so, are you content or are you eager to move forward laboring until the Lord returns? Don't bury what God has entrusted to you. And if you have never submitted your life to Christ in the first place, if you have remained in obstinance, in rebellion, know that there is coming a day for the fraud and for the one who just hasn't bothered to trust in Christ. There is coming a day when your fraud will be exposed. The king will return. And you will have to give an accounting. What will you say on that day? To whom will you turn? And the king says, what have you done? What will you show the Lord after all that he has given for you? God has emptied the treasuries of heaven, giving his only son the most precious, perfect, spotless lamb. So that you could be forgiven, so that you could be brought into the family, so that you could be transformed into a laborer for the kingdom. What have you done with it? There is no gift more precious that he could have given for you no more sure sign of his love for you than Jesus on the cross pouring out his blood for your sins. Have you embraced that gift? Or do you remain neglecting it, ignoring it, pushing it down in your mind even now, hoping that you can in just a few minutes have some reprieve from the knowledge that you're a fraud? Yes, we'll go and eat in a few minutes. We'll get our bellies full and we'll laugh and joke and think about other things for a little while. But for those that are exposed when the king returns, there will be no reprieve from the knowledge that we never embrace the gift that God has given us of his own son. Would you despise such a precious 
gift by your refusal to repent and obey and labor for his kingdom until it comes. The opportunity is available for you today to repent, to believe the gospel, or to determine that you're going to labor for Christ's coming kingdom. I, I, I look forward to talking with people around a, a dinner table about old times, about sharing memories, but I, I look forward more, hopefully, to talking with someone after the service about their need to repent and believe the gospel. And so if, if you would like to talk to me, if you'd like to talk to Bob, if you'd like to trust to, or talk to Tom or other trusted leaders in this church, please don't leave here today without doing so because the king is returning and he will one day settle accounts. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we ask that you would shake us out of our complacency, unsettle our hearts. Don't let us remain content to set on your treasure. Lord, I thank you for all the many blessings that you've given us, the blessings of fellowship that we're about to share in just a few minutes. But I pray, Lord, that from this day, we wouldn't leave here and think, oh, it was nice to see Tim and the kids, that, or it was nice to be together with people that we haven't seen since last year's homecoming. But Lord, we would leave this place today thinking, how can I get to work laboring for Christ's kingdom, producing fruit until he returns? Lord, we long for that return to come quickly. As we look around us and we see the devastation, the sadness that exists in this world, we, we long for the rewards of heaven. But Lord, let us not be caught content when you return. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.